Good morning, if we can find our seats. There we go. And turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We'll get started this morning. If you would read along with me, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, God, all the praise, all the glory goes to you. That you would pour out your love, Lord, that you would pour out your grace upon us, God. God, I pray for us this morning as we go over the text, Lord, as we tackle this sentence, Lord, these next couple weeks, that, that you pour out an understanding of your love for us, Lord, that we would praise you. God, I pray that we understand as a church this morning how blessed we are because of your Son and what he has done for us on the cross. Lord, be with us this morning. Unite us in love, Lord. I pray in your son's name. Amen. Have you ever imagined what it would be like to be rich? Like, extremely rich. I'm not joking. Like, how would your life look different? Would you live differently? What would be the first thing you, you'd do if you were just wealthy beyond understanding? I, I asked this because I actually came across an article this week. It's from Business Insider, so I don't know if these facts are true or not, but this is what they said, and um, it seemed like uh, uh, it, it was up-to-date. So I say this because someone said there's someone richer than Bill Gates, or there's two people richer than Bill Gates for a service, and... Um, this article said that Bill Gates is worth $104 billion. 
So I started reading this article, and the title of this article was Nine Mind-Blowing Facts That Show Just How Wealthy Bill Gates Really Is. So out of these nine, I just want to mention four of them. Bill Gates, this is amazing to me. Bill Gates is the second richest person in the world, according to this magazine, or this article, after giving away approximately 27% of his net worth to charity over the years. You think about that, it's over a fourth of what his net worth is. He's given away, and he's still the second richest person in the world. Based on how much money Bill Gates made last year, which this article said it was in 2018, so that's 2017, he makes approximately $380 per second. If Bill Gates spent a million dollars a day, Bill Gates spent a million dollars a day, it would take him about 285 years to spend all of his money. If Bill Gates gave every single person, every single living, this is amazing to me, think about this. Bill Gates gave every single person on the planet $10, he would still have more than $30 billion left over. So why do I bring this up? For how rich Bill Gates is, you, if you are a Christian this morning, are infinitely richer. Look at what Ephesians 1.3 says. Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 is all about how rich we are as Christians by God's grace to the praise of God's glory. This is right after Paul gets a greeting. We went over that last week, the first two verses. And he starts with this amazing doxology. I mean, he just jumps right into this. He starts by praising God for his grace. It's almost like Paul couldn't wait to get into the letter to start praising God for his grace. And I said this last week that that verses 3 through 14 are all one amazing long sentence in Greek. It's 202 words long in one sentence. It's like Paul starts talking about, about God's grace and he can't stop. He doesn't even take a breath for 202 words. One long run-on sentence, praising God for his grace over and over and over and over again. Paul ends up, by the end of the sentence, giving the, the whole work of redemption. In one sentence, from eternity past to eternity future, the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amazing. One amazing sentence, and we're going to start looking at that sentence today, and we're going to get to verse 3. We'll work on verse 4 next week. But verse 3. Um, last week I pointed out there's, there's a phrase repeated in this 
portion of scripture in this one sentence, this one doxology, verses 3 through 14. This, this, this phrase that's repeated, we see it in verse 6, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace in verse 6. And if you look at verse 12, it says, so that we who were in the, the first to hope in Christ might be to, to the praise of his glory. And then in verse 14, he ends with it, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. One phrase is the main point of this whole entire doxology. All the praise, all the glory for our salvation, for the wealth that God has poured out on us, it all goes to God and God alone. And we see that this, these three phrases help us kind of outline this doxology, and, and, and each section ends with this praise of God's grace, praise of God's glory, and, and each section, it praises a member of the Trinity for the different work within redemption. You have past, present, future, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Verses 3 through 6, from eternity past, God the Father chose us, predestined us. In other words, he planned out our salvation Verses 7 through 12, in this present age, Jesus, God the Son, redeemed us and forgave us. In verses 13 through 14, the promised future, the Holy Spirit sealed us to a guaranteed future inheritance. In other words, in verses 3 through 14, Paul is showing us just how glorious God's grace truly is. It's almost like he's pulling back the curtain. I've said this before. He's, he's revealing to us more, that there's more to your salvation than you first thought. It reminds me, and, and I've said this, it reminds me of the book of Job, which is the oldest book of the Bible. And a lot of theologians, because it's the oldest book of the Bible, think it's kind of like an introduction to the Bible as a whole. Right? It, it shows us our need for revelation. You have Job, that, that all these things are happening to him, and his three friends come, who are the smartest men in the world of that day, and they're trying to tell Job what, what, why this is happening, and they all are wrong. But the reader gets the privilege of seeing behind the scenes. God shows that there's more to the story, that there's spiritual realities that we would never know without the revelation of God. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 is really God pulling back the curtain, showing us spiritual realities we would have never known. Showing us just how deep and grand and glorious God's grace and love is for us. When you first were saved, you thought you put your faith in Christ. He died on the cross for your sins, and therefore your sins were forgiven, and that's all very true. But then you get to the book of Ephesians, and God reveals to us that God the Father chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, and in love, he predestined you for adoptions to himself as sons. Meaning, if you are saved this morning, God set his affections on you before the foundation of the world in eternity past. And he made sure that you would be adopted into his family. And not only that, when you put your faith in Christ, look at verse 13, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance, a guarantee of a future inheritance, a future eternity with Christ. 
meaning the work of redemption in your life, spans from eternity past to eternity future. And that's all to the praise of his glorious grace. How do you not praise God for that? Father's work from eternity past, the Son's work in this age, the Holy Spirit's guarantee for the age to come. Today we're going to look at verse 3, which is just an introduction to this doxology. And I want you to think about that for this amazing sentence, right? Verses 3 through 14, it has its own introduction. It's like a thesis statement within the sentence for the sentence. <laughs> Look at what it says in verse 3, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I hope you notice a word that's repeated in there in verse 3, the word blessed, 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 blessing. There's three blessings that are talked about in verse 3. The three blessings tell us the who, the why, and the what, and that's going to be our outline this morning. The who, the why, and the what. Who? Blessed be God. Why? Who has blessed us. What? With every spiritual blessing. So let's start with the who. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you see the focus here is God. Blessed be God. The priority of this doxology is God, not man. It drives this whole sentence, and honestly, it drives the entire epistle, and to, to be really honest, it drives the entire Bible. Blessed be God. What's it mean to bless God? What's interesting, the Greek word is eulogetos. Eulogetos. It's a compound word. Eu meaning good. It's where we get like eugenics from. Good gene or euthanasia. Good death. And the other word, you, is logos. So you have you, good, and then logos. We know that word. It means word. When you put these two words together, eulogetos, it means good word. We get, this, uh, we get the word eulogy from this, this word. It means to communicate goodness, to give a good word, to speak well, to praise. Paul is saying, blessed be God. In other words, he's saying, God is worthy of our praise. Praise be to God. I think the NIV even translates it that way. In Scripture, whenever man blesses God, it's always praise and worship. Therefore, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says that, he is saying, all the glory, all the praise goes to God for our salvation. Paul is praising God for our salvation. He's saying, bless him, praise him, glorify him. And, and he doesn't stop here, right? I mean, he starts this, this long sentence with, blessed be God, meaning praise God. And then he reminds you, <laughs> verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. In other words, he's saying, don't forget the main point of the doxology, that all the glory goes to God. It's all about him. God gets all the glory and all the praise, not man. And honestly, this is, this is important to understand the first two chapters of Ephesians. So that's the who. The who is God. 
Blessed be God. Now let's look at the why. Why? He has blessed us. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Why should we praise God? He has blessed us. We should praise God because he's, he's praiseworthy, he's worthy of our praise, and because he has blessed us. Well, what does it mean that God has blessed us? Because that word means to speak good, right? Does it, does it mean that God praises us? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. There's this consistency between the Old and New Testament when the, with the word blessed when it's used. When God is the object of a person's blessing, it has this idea of praise and worship and glorifying. Why? Well, what else would we give God? I mean, how, how else could we bless God? What can we give to him? Your money? It's his. Your time? It's his. Your life? It's his. Listen, we're, we're stewards of these things. God owns these things. He owns everything. So the only thing we can give God is our praise. But in the Old Testament, when a person is the object of God's blessing, it has this idea of God giving good things to him. Actually, John MacArthur, I was reading through a, def- a couple different commentaries on this, and, and John MacArthur writes about this, and I just think it's profound, so I'm going to read this slowly. This is what John MacArthur sins, says. When we bless God, we speak good of him. When God blesses us, he communicates good to us. We bless him with words, he blesses us with deeds. Well, why is that? Well, this is what John MacArthur says. All we can do is to speak well of him because in ourselves we have nothing good to give. And in himself... He lacks no goodness. I mean, what can you give to God that profits him, that would make him more wealthy? Nothing. But when he blesses us, the situation is reversed. He cannot bless us for our goodness because we have none. Rather, he blesses us with goodness. Our Heavenly Father lavishes us with every goodness, every good gift, every blessing. That is his nature, and that is our need. Therefore, when verse 3 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, Paul is saying, blessed be God. In other words, praise and glorify God because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Our blessing to him is praise and worship. His blessing to us is good gifts in Christ. And that phrase in Christ is extremely important. It's extremely important. In fact, Paul repeats this phrase in this one sentence 11 times in different forms. One sentence, 3 through 14, that means verses 3 through 14, that's an average of one time per verse. Paul wants to make it very clear that we are blessed because we are in Christ. 
because we have Christ as our Redeemer. He has redeemed us because Christ has paid the price for us. I want to be clear on this. The blessings that are talked about in verses 3 through 14 are for Christians. Are for those who are saved. For those who are in Christ. Just a side note, because this is extremely important. I said this last week, Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians was written to the church. It was written to the saints in the church. Meaning the letter is written to Christians. Meaning if I'm going to preach Ephesians, which is my calling as a pastor, I'm going to be preaching to Christians. These blessings are only for Christians. That means if you don't know Christ this morning, put your faith in him. Trust him. Because this is, these blessings are reserved for those who have put their faith in Christ, that are Christians, that are in Christ. Receive the blessings, receive the gift, receive the grace that God is offering. So that's the who, it's God. The why, because he has blessed us in Christ. Now the what? What has he blessed us with? Everything. Look at what it says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does that even mean? I mean, how many spiritual blessings do you think are in the heavenly places? A lot? <laughs> Infinite? Right, to be honest, I don't, I don't even know what to do with this sentence. It's beyond comprehension. I mean, think about that. It's beyond comprehension how blessed you are this morning if you were a Christian. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians 3.18 that the church may have the strength to comprehend. You hear that? That the church may have strength to understand this. <laughs> Like, you need strength to understand this. That the church may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Beyond our ability to understand. Listen, we are rich beyond comprehension. But I know what some of you might be thinking right now. I don't feel rich. I barely have enough money to get by, Nathan. I just lost my job. My marriage is falling apart. I do not feel rich. I have a daughter or son that is struggling. I can barely get out of bed because my health is failing me, Nathan. I'm in pain. I am struggling. I'm depressed. I don't feel rich. I don't feel blessed. If anything, I feel beat up. Don't raise your hand. Just answer this in your heart. Do you feel beat up this morning? Listen, if you're a Christian... You are rich. 
But listen to what Paul says, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen, Paul is clear on this, that these blessings are spiritual blessings, not physical. That they're blessings in the heavenly places, not worldly, earthly blessings. Not physical, not earthly. And don't get me wrong, please don't get me wrong. We can enjoy them now. In fact, we are called, we are commanded by Paul to enjoy them now. But they are heavenly blessings because we are citizens of, the he- of heaven, not this world. There's always going to be a sense that this is not home. There's always going to be a sense that things aren't the way they should be. Let me just give you a, an, an illustration. I think it's been over a year now, but we went to Australia about a year ago. And I love Australia. It's a beautiful country. They speak English. Which that's a big deal. Because we went to Indonesia last year too, and Australia was a lot easier. It's a Western culture, so it's very close to, the, to an American culture, but it's not America. Australia, we were there for two weeks, and towards the end of the two weeks, we really were like just homesick. This doesn't feel like home. They eat weird stuff, Vegemite. They drive on the wrong side of the road. They play football without pads. It wasn't home. And guess what? Even though we were in Australia, me and my family, me and my wife and my kids, we were American citizens. We weren't citizens of Australia. We were foreigners. Right? We were passing through. We were visiting. In a very similar way, we live in this world, but it's not our home. It's not our home. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. I love how Peter puts it. First Peter Chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, Peter, an apostle of of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles. Those are two odd words to put right next to each other. Elect exiles. Elect means chosen, means blessed. It it points back to, to Israel being God's chosen people. Right? God's chosen nation. Right? We are in God's kingdom, but we're exiles. Meaning sojourners, refugees, aliens. This is not our home. Even though we are in this world, our citizenship is in heaven, in other words. We are foreigners. We're just visiting. We come from a better country. Listen, if you're a Christian this morning, again, these blessings are for Christians. If you're a Christian this morning, especially if you are struggling, you need to to understand No matter what the struggle, no matter how hard life is right now, you are rich spiritually. You are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And Paul goes on, he elaborates. Verses 4 through 14 is is just a, a taste of the blessings we have being in Christ. 
He wants you to know how rich you truly are. And so verse 4, he starts, he says, God chose you before the foundations of the world. Just think about that. You feel beat up? Feel like God's distant this morning? Doesn't care? Listen, if you're a Christian, God set his affections on you, not just before you were born, before the foundations of the world. Verse 5, in love, he predestined you for adoption. In other words, he made sure, that word means preordained or predetermined, that you would end up in his family as adopted sons and daughters. Verse 7, he redeemed you through the blood of his son and forgave you your sins. In other words, in love, he sent his son to die for you on the cross. Verse 8, then he lavished upon you his grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, and we need his grace every morning. Verse 9, he also revealed his wisdom, insight, and knowledge of the mysteries of his will to you. God revealed his personal, intimate thoughts to you in his word in scripture. Verse 10, even, even let you know how it all ends. Jesus will be victorious. God will be glorified. And you will be in everlasting joy forever. Verse 11, God has given you an inheritance because you are his son or daughter. Verse 13, he has also given you his spirit as a gift and a seal. Verse 14, that you may know that you have a guarantee future inheritance. In other words, your life is completely in his hands and you are rich. And all of this is to the praise of his glorious grace. The triune God chose you, redeemed you, and sealed you so that you would be his forever and ever and ever and everlasting joy. Christian, you are rich. Look at what it says in verse 3 one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The who is God and we should praise God because the why is he has blessed us in Christ and the what is with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm going to end this sermon, which will be for the next, I don't know how long, with some application. And the reason I want to take a lot of time on application this morning is, again, I want to focus on the fact that Ephesians is not just deep theology for deep theology's sake. Ephesians is the depth of God's grace lived out in love. That's a theme that we have said that, that, that sums up the whole book, the depth of God's grace lived out in love. So how does this deep theology encourage us to love? I want to spend some time in this this morning, because here's how. When you realize, when I say realize, I mean know, when you understand, right, when you grasp this theology of how rich you truly are, it frees you up to do two things. First, 
is to love boldly. And second is to love sacrificially. If you knew how rich you were, if you truly grasped it, you would love boldly and you would love sacrificially. So let's look at these two things. The first one is love boldly. Let me just give you an illustration right off the bat. If you were a billionaire, if you were Bill Gates rich, $104 billion, and you lost 10 bucks, that would be no big deal. In fact, if you lost $10, Bill Gates lost $10 and was stressed about it, tearing up his house looking for the $10. People would think he's crazy. He makes $380 a second. It would cost him way more money <laughs> looking for the $10. Listen, you are infinitely more rich than Bill Gates. Ephesians 1.3 says you are spiritual billionaires. That means if you have a setback in in your walk, in your faith, or you're anxious or stressed or or angry because you didn't get something you wanted, or or if you're afraid of losing something that you love, you don't know your true identity. You don't understand how wealthy you truly are. Therefore, listen, if you don't live boldly for Christ because you're afraid of losing something, you don't understand how rich you are. I feel like Paul got it. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Paul is saying this, these afflictions we are suffering in this life, and, and Paul understood afflictions. And Paul lost everything. There's a point that Paul had to be so disfigured for all the beatings. He was stoned once, shipwrecked, everything. Lost his family. Lost all of his wealth. He says all these afflictions that we experience in this life don't even compare to the weight of glory we're going to have in the next. That's an amazing statement. Paul calls the sufferings in this life for a man that truly understood suffering light momentarily afflictions. Like Bill Gates, losing $10. No big deal. Paul understood how rich he was. Therefore, he lived boldly for Christ. And he suffered. Paul suffered. But that suffering didn't compare to the wealth he had in Christ. This is what it says in Ephesians or Philippians 3, verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeals, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And Paul was like a rock star. <laughs> he had everything. He was a Pharisee, right? He was popular. People may not have liked him, but everyone wanted to be him. He was wealthy as a Pharisee. He was honored. Right? People wanted to be Paul, and he gave it all away. Why? Verse 7. 
But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Christ is worth so much more than everything this, this world has to offer. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. Compared to Christ, the, the wealth we have in Christ, it's rubbish. It's ten bucks to Bill Gates. It's nothing. And Paul, out of all the men that walked the face of this earth, knew how rich he truly was. Therefore, no suffering on earth, right? No suffering on earth stopped him. To live is Christ. In other words, do whatever you want to me. It's for, for, for Christ's glory and, and to die is gain. Kill me. That's good. I'll go to heaven. No suffering on earth compared to the blessings he had in Christ. Therefore, Paul lived boldly and loved boldly. He spent his whole life loving boldly. Right? Taking the gospel to the nations. Right? He knew how rich he was, and he wanted to take that wealth to others. And if he suffered, he was rich. He wanted to spread it. He was so filled with God's love, he wanted to take it to people that never heard of him. Look what it says in Ephesians 3.8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given... It was a gift that was given to him. Well, what was that gift? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen, I pray that this is the motivation for all our missionaries. I'm so rich. I'm so rich in Christ for, for what God has done for me. I have to go and share. No matter what the cost, right? I'm rich. <laughs> I need to spread the wealth. Knowing you are rich will help you love boldly. But it will also help you love sacrificially. It will help you love sacrificially. Turn with me to 2 uh, Corinthians verse eight, or chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We've gone over this passage a few times, and I promise you we will go over this passage more in the future. Because I want you to know, and that's what Paul starts with, we want you to know, right? He's talking to a church, and he says, I want you to know this church. He's talking to the church at Corinth. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. In other words, he's telling one church, hey, we want you to know about what this other church is doing, the grace that God has poured out on this other church. And how has God blessed these other churches? How has his grace been poured out on the churches at Macedonia? Well, he says something weird. Verse 2. For in a severe test of afflictions. In other words, harsh, harsh circumstances. Their abundance of joy. In other words, Paul is telling Corinth that these churches, these churches in Macedonia understand how rich they are because there's these, these hard circumstances, these, these severe tests of afflictions, and they're joy-filled. And look what it says in verse 2. And in their extreme 
poverty. I just want, like, Paul says severe tests of afflictions, and then he says extreme poverty. He doesn't just say afflictions. He doesn't just say poverty. He says severe, extreme. This is Paul, who knows extreme and severe. And he says, in their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Paul is saying this church didn't have much, but they knew they were rich. Therefore, they gave. Sacrificially. Look what it says in verse 3. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means, on their own accord. In other words, they sacrifice. Paul was collecting money because this, this church that he is going to go visit is, is struggling, and he's going to the other churches saying, will you give so we can give money to this other church? And this church in Macedonia who's struggling themselves says, we'll give, we're rich. <laughs> Look at verse 4. They didn't even stop there. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the release of the saints. In other words, Paul says, hey, you've, you're, okay, slow down. And they're like, no, please take our money, we're rich. Listen, Bill Gates gave $50 million to Alzheimer's research last year. That's a lot of money. It's nothing for him. It's pennies. Because he's rich. The church understood they had knowledge. These churches of Macedonia understood they had knowledge. They understood the theology, in other words, of how rich they truly are, and because of this knowledge, they gave, and they gave, and they gave sacrificially. Paul is using this church as an example, pleading with the church at Corinth to live the same way. Live as though you are rich. Look at verse 9. This is his plea to the church. Right? So he turns his attention to the church at Corinth and says this in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was rich. And how, how rich was Jesus? Right, God? Like, really rich? <laughs> Yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul is telling the church you're rich. You are rich. Therefore, live that way and out of your wealth, love each other sacrificially. And this is not a message on giving money. Loving sacrificially may just be spending time with people. Loving those that are hard to love. Being there for people when they need you and you don't want to be there for you. Working on your marriage when you're upset with your spouse. Listen, if you truly understood how rich you are in Christ, you would love sacrificially. In the church, you would serve. And if you got hurt by someone in the church, you'd be like, I'm rich. <laughs> I'm rich. Let's go deal with it, but I'm rich. You would love in your community. You would share the gospel boldly. Because what are people going to do to you? To live as Christ, if they're going to kill you, is gain. <laughs> Which, thankfully, we don't have to worry about that in, in Hatchaby. In your family, putting others first. In your marriage, putting your spouse first. 
no matter how hard that is. Listen, whatever sacrifice you make is infinitely small compared to the wealth you have gained in Christ. That's my prayer for our church as we go through Ephesians 1 and 2, is that we know, we grasp this deep theology of how rich we are, and through that we love boldly and we love sacrificially. Because we're rich. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I praise you for your grace, Lord. And I pray that my life worships you for the grace that you have given to me, Lord, through your Son. That you would send your Son to die on the cross for my sins is an amazing thought. It's beyond comprehension. What we have been forgiven and what we have been promised and, and given, Lord, is beyond knowledge. Yet if we start to grasp how rich we are in Christ, Lord, we'd live differently. Lord, I live differently. I struggle with this. I'm so focused on, on what's going on in my life, the physical world, this, this world that's around me, that I forget how rich I am in Christ, Lord. Help remind me daily. Help me live boldly. Help me love boldly. Help me love sacrificially, Lord. God, I pray that our church grasps just how rich we truly are. And through that knowledge, we love each other. Because we're wealthy. We're full of love and grace, and, and, and it's overflowing. I pray it just overflows on other people. We forgive each other because we're forgiven. How could we not forgive each other for how much you've forgiven us? We love each other because we're loved. How could we not love each other for how much you loved us and that we love sacrificially because you loved us sacrificially, sending your son to die on the cross for our sins? How could we not do that for each other? Help us to understand these realities. In your son's name, amen.